afternoon. It's good to see you all here. And uh, I spilled that. Very tasty. It's my privilege this afternoon to bring to you God's Word. And we're in a series at the moment going through the Gospel of Luke, where we're walking with Jesus. And I don't know how about you, but I found it really exciting, encouraging. And last week, uh, Dave preached to us from the early verses of uh, Luke chapter 8. And, you know, all week, there's a phrase that Dave kept saying that has stuck with me all the time. And it's Jesus is kind of saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. I've got this. In the lives that we live, lives which are often difficult, lives that we don't have a lot of control over, I'm with you. I'm for you. I've got this. And we're going to carry on uh, from where Dave uh, left it last Sunday and look at further evidence of Jesus' power and authority over the, the uh, well, what, what, what David did with us last week, he showed us that Jesus had authority over the uh, forces of nature by calming a storm on a lake. And how did he do that? Well, he literally just spoke and he said, peace, be still. And a storm on a lake stopped. And then a little later, Jesus went into the Gerasenes and there was a man there who was possessed by a legion of demons. That means many, many, maybe thousands of demons. And Jesus spoke, and those demons were cast out of that man into a herd of pigs who ran down the hill into the river or into the, into the lake. It must have been one of the most dramatic miracles Jesus ever did. Jesus has demonstrated to his disciples, I have power, I have authority over the forces of nature. I have power, I have authority over demonic power. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look further where Jesus will demonstrate that he has power over illness and disease. And ultimately, that he has power over death. That's where we're going to go today. And if you have a Bible, I would like to read the passage that we're going to consider, which you'll find in the Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 8. You'll find it on page 866. And we're going to read from verse 40, which is about a third of the way down on the left-hand page, where it says, Jesus heals a woman and Jairus' daughter. So starting at that little number that says 40, it says this. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman there who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you, and you are are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. 
And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Amen. That's the word of God to us this afternoon. And I just want to share with you what I've been indulging myself in this week. Finding out what this is about. And you know, I'm really encouraged. And I I want to share that with you this afternoon. Jesus has just performed a miracle. Performed might be the wrong word. Jesus has cast out a legion of demons. And the people from the surrounding area come to him. And eventually they say to him, go, leave us. We don't want you here anymore, Jesus. Go. They were fearful of him. So Jesus and his disciples went back to their boat, which would have been by the lake, and went back across Lake Galilee to Capernaum. It would have been probably three or four miles away. And they'd only crossed it the night before. Strong men. I don't know whether they rowed or whether they sailed, but here they had at least another hour, hour and a half's journey going back across the lake to Capernaum. When Jesus got to Capernaum, we're told that he was welcomed. And I just think a contrast between he was rejected from where he was previously. He gets back here and there's crowds of people there. And they welcome him. It says they've been waiting for him. And I've been thinking, how, how did they know he was coming? I don't know. But they were there. And they were waiting for him. And they welcomed him. Jesus, Jesus. You can see this crowd. Big number of people welcoming Jesus. And they come ashore. And we're introduced to the first person who features in our story today. And his name is Jairus. And we're told straight away that Jairus ran to Jesus and fell on the floor before Jesus. And he pleaded with him. He's pleading with Jesus. And you think, well, what's he pleading about? Who is Jairus? Why is he doing this? Jairus, we're told, is a leader of the synagogue. He would have been a prominent man in Capernaum. He would have been a a public figure that everybody would have recognized. The synagogue was the focus, the focal point of all life in any town or city. It's where everything that happened, happened. Jairus was a leader of the synagogue. He organized what happened at the synagogue. All the events, he would be the man. He would be master of ceremonies. He would be overseeing it. A little bit like what Mike has done here today. But everybody would have known him. And we're told about Jairus that he has a daughter. He only has one daughter. She's 12 years old. He would have been his little darling. And he would have also been, she would have been quite a little, a public figure too. Everybody would have known that's Jairus' daughter. But what's the matter? Why is Jairus, 
Why is he on his knees in front of Jesus, pleading, urgently pleading for something? What's the matter? Well, we're told that she's dying. This little girl is dying. And I can't imagine that Jairus has suddenly thought, my little girl isn't well, I'm going to see Jesus. This may have been going on for some time. She may have fallen ill. She may have been, oh, had a put, I don't know what it was. Maybe she had a, a, a stomach ache. And so Jairus, Jairus would have been doing a lot before this and his wife to, to try and resolve whatever the issue was with his daughter. He would have had the best doctors. Come and see my daughter. Try and make her better, please. Give her medicine. What is it can we do? He would have been doing all of these things. And eventually he gets to a point where he realizes that all his efforts have come to nothing. His little girl has got worse. It's not just that she's not well. It's the fact that she's dying. What are you going to do when it's your only child and she's dying? Jairus would have known about Jesus. Capernaum seemed to be a center where a lot of miracles took place. I think there's about 13 miracles recorded for us in Jesus' ministry took place in Capernaum. Some of them certainly had taken place at that point. Jairus would have known about Jesus and he would have thought, Jesus, I know he's, 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 he's done miracles. I, I'm, I'm going to go and see Jesus. I, I, am, I am going. And we're told what he did. He ran. Middle Eastern men never run. Jairus has reached a point where he doesn't care what people think about him. He's thrown caution to the wind. He loses any respect that people may have for him by running and throwing himself at Jesus' feet and pleading, Jesus, please, please, will you come? My daughter, she's dying. I was just trying to think, how can I get that sense of urgency? How can I make you feel that sense of urgency? And I thought, there have been a few occasions when I've felt a little bit of urgency like that. Maybe not to the same extent, but picture the scene. Let's, let's imagine you're, you're out with your family somewhere. Most people here have children. Let's say you're away. You're at a, I don't know, a big summer event or a big shopping mall or a sports scene or the beach where there are loads and loads of people and you've got your family with you and, and you're looking across to your wife and think, have you got John? And then you, you sit down. Have you still? Yeah, yeah, I've still got him. Still got him. And then you know you may sit down and, and, and relax. On, let's say we're on the beach. You're on the beach and you're relaxing and you look across at your, your wife and you, you say, "Have you got John?" You say, "No, no, no. You've got John." So no, no, no. You've got John. That moment, where's John? And you think, "Well, I saw him over there five minutes." And, and you look and you think, "Ah, oh, he's not there." Ah, oh, right. So so you could, uh, and, and you start to look around and you scout it, and you've got that little feeling in your stomach that's starting to think, "Where's John?" Is he around? Is he safe? Has someone taken him? No, no, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. And, and, and then it builds, you know, five minutes later. Have you found him? No, no, I haven't found him. Oh, no. And you start going, John, John. You start to do this. And this goes on five minutes, ten minutes. You know, after 20 minutes, you're screaming, John, where are you? You don't care. You're starting to panic. You lose all self-control. You see a policeman. You run to the Why have you seen my son? Sense of panic. Sense of desperation. Jairus has got that but he's got it to an even greater extent. My daughter is dying. Jesus, Jesus, please come with me. Come with me. I want you to... And it says that Jesus went. So Jairus must be... Can, can you imagine Jairus? This, this way, this way. And he's walking up there through the narrow streets of Capernaum and it says that crowds are pressing in. And they want to be there. They want to know what's happening. What's happening? Where's he going? He's going to Jairus' house. Oh, no, let's, let's, let's all go. Let's go and see what's going to happen up there. And so here we're told, 
the crowd's going, Jairus, anxious, desperate, come, come, come. And then we're told something that happened. It says Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he turned around and he said, who touched me? Jairus is, Jesus, it's this way. Come on, just this way, please. Now Jesus has stopped. Who touched me? And so, nobody, nobody owned up to that. Who touched me? And, and, and Peter said, I, I, I love Peter at times. He says, oh, Jesus. He says, look, there's people all around you. There's a massive crowd here. What do you mean? Who touched you? It's, it's a little bit like a, you know, a celebrity today. They come out into the public. There's all the paparazzi. taking clear. So imagine he comes out and he turns around and says, Who took my photograph? <laughs> what a silly question. Well, everybody will. You know, who touched me? Jesus. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus said, No, no. No, I know. Someone touched me with intent because I felt healing power go out from me. Who touched me? And it's at that point we're introduced to the second person in our story today, a woman. We don't even know her name. But what we are told about her is that she's been ill. She's been ill for 12 long years. She's had a bleeding problem. And she can't get it cured. 12 years with this problem. We're told that she spent all that she had on doctors who were unable to help her. In fact, it says that after 12 years of treatment, she was worse than when she first started. So she's lost her health. She's lost her wealth. She's also lost her social status because under Levitical law, Having that kind of a problem meant that you were unclean. You were ostracized. You were cast aside. You became an outcast of society. You weren't allowed to do certain things. In fact, if you touched anybody, that person became unclean too. So this wasn't just a temporary thing. This was something that this woman had lived with all of that time. And she was a nobody. She was nothing, not just in the eyes of everybody, she was nothing in her own eyes. Twelve long years of being told, you're unclean, you're not fit, I can't associate with you, I want nothing to do with you. How do you think she felt? She felt worthless, she felt hopeless, she felt useless, she felt utterly, completely rejected. But she has a plan, she's heard of Jesus. And she says to herself, if only, if only I can touch one of those tassels that hangs down at the bottom of of Jesus' robes, I'll be healed. And she plans that. It says the crowd were waiting patiently. In the crowd was this woman. She was waiting for Jesus to come. She had a plan. And it wasn't to confront Jesus. It wasn't to walk up to him and say, I'm not well, please can you heal me? It was to come from behind and to carefully touch and then to clear off. She didn't want publicity. She didn't want to meet Jesus. She just wanted to touch the hem of his gown. 
And that's exactly what she did. So imagine the crowds pushing through the streets and our streets. She sees her opportunity. She grabs it. And it says instantly, instantly she was healed. And she knew it. Can you imagine how she felt? 12 years I've had this. 12 long years. I'm better. Now let's get out of here. And she was off. She didn't want to know. She didn't want. And then she heard, who touched me? Oh, no. Who touched me? I'm not going to say anything. Somebody touched me. I felt healing power go from me. I've been healed. I know. Who touched me? Oh. And then it tells that she came in front of Jesus in fear and trembling. And she told her story so everybody could hear. What was Jesus going to do for her? Woman, why did you do that? You've made me unclean. You've touched me. I'm a rabbi. Don't you realize that? No. That's not what happened. How does Jesus respond to this woman? He says, daughter. Not woman. Daughter. He establishes a relationship with her. Can you imagine him lifting her face up so he looks in her face? Daughter. And then he says to her, your faith has made you clean. Go in peace. Ah, How did that woman feel? Ah, Incredible. Not only is she healed physically, she's healed spiritually too. Shalom, Jesus would have said to her. Go in peace. And in doing that, calling her daughter, he may have held her hands, I don't know. He would have actually reinstated her in society. She would have got back her status that she'd had previously. She was no longer unclean. She was healed. Jesus had said, you're clean. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Whoa, what's happening to Jairus at this time? He is absolutely beside himself. I don't know how long that took with the woman. But Jairus is, oh, Jesus, come on, my daughter, my daughter. She's dying, she's dying. And it was at that point, he said, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, Somebody came from Jairus' house and said, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Crowds of people hearing that kind of message. What is Jairus going to do? I could almost see Jairus just, that's it, that's the end. You can just see him, can't you? I thought, Jesus, I thought you were going to do it for me, Jesus. And and, and now she's dead. And I can just see Jesus looking at Jairus straight in the face, saying, Jairus, don't fear. Believe, and she will be well. Oh, Jairus, he's just hanging on to Jesus now. If Jairus had faith, which he did, his faith has been so tested, and yet here he is, hanging on to Jesus. And we're told that Jesus and his disciples then moved to Jairus' house. And it says, when, we, when they got there, what were they confronted with? A crowd of people in the house and around the house, all weeping and wailing. Why? Because Jairus' daughter was dead. Jairus, don't fear. Have faith and she will be well. He is hanging on to Jesus' words here because all the evidence in front of him is telling him his daughter is dead. He's hanging on. And Jesus said to the crowd, why are you weeping? Why are you wailing? And they said, she's dead. And Jesus said, no, 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 she's not dead. She's not dead, she's just asleep. And it says the crowd laughed at him because they knew she was dead. And it says, so Jesus put everybody out of the house 
and he went into the room with Jairus, his wife, Peter, James, and John. And there's the little girl, I imagine, laid on a bed, lifeless. And it says, Jesus took her hand and said in a loud voice, little girl, get up. And immediately she got up. <laughs> How? How do you react to that? My daughter is dead. My daughter was dead. The life entered her again. Her spirit came back into her. The parents were overwhelmed. They were overjoyed. What were the disciples thinking? Absolutely incredible. And then just to show the compassion of Jesus, he says to the parents, give us something to eat. You know, she's been ill for two or three weeks. She hasn't eaten anything. She's really, really weak. And if you don't, she'll probably collapse. So give us something to eat. The compassion of Jesus in that moment of elation. Incredible. So Jesus has demonstrated his power, his authority over nature, over demonic powers, over illness and sickness, and ultimately over death. And of course, he will go on to the cross where again he will triumph over death. But what does all that mean? What does that mean for us today? That phrase that Dave kept saying last week, I'm with you, I'm for you, I've got this. Where is your faith? When Jesus sees faith, he responds to it. And that faith might be weak, it might be hesitant, it might be misdirected. Think of the woman where was her faith? Her faith was actually in the tassels that hung down on Jesus', on Jesus clothes. You could say, that's poor faith. That's weak faith. Yeah. yeah, it is. But what happens when that woman exercises that faith? When she actually, by faith, takes hold of that tassel and she is instantly healed. What happens? Jesus responds. He says, daughter, what a response. She wouldn't have expected that. She expected to to run away, to go away and, and be anonymous, etc. No, no, Jesus responds to that faith, weak and hesitant as it was, and misdirected. He responds, and he encourages that faith. Is your faith like that? Weak, hesitant, misdirected? What about Jairus? Well, Jairus had a stronger faith in Jesus. He did believe, although it was a kind of a last resort faith. His daughter had been ill for some time. He'd obviously tried all the doctors and medics and ways of trying to resolve this and kind of as a last resort. He, remember when he met Jesus, he was desperate. This wasn't a first response. This was a desperate response. I've tried everything else. Oh, I'll try Jesus. He had faith. But what happened? When he, you know, when he initially went to Jesus and Jesus responded and said, yes, coming then his faith was really tested. This woman, that's a test of his faith. You know, I thought you were coming, Jesus. Now you'd, and, and because you didn't come, she's died. Oh, why did I bother to have faith? But he hung on in there. And ultimately, his faith, although severely tested, proved to be in the right person. His daughter was healed. How exciting was that? What about your faith? What about when things get tough? And we all face tough times in our lives. There's nobody will escape. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And when we show faith in God, in Christ, he responds to us to encourage us in our faith, to encourage us in our walk with him. And Dave, forgive me for nicking all your phrases from last week, but a a faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And faithlessness leads to fruitlessness and fearfulness. So let me encourage you all today. We have faith, then show it, then exercise it, then live it out. May your lives be faithful and fruitful, not faithless and fruitless. And I pray that as a church that we will grow in our faith, in our Savior. I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. I've got this. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you that something that happened so many years ago is still relevant to us today. I thank you that the disciples did get it eventually and their faith was holy in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that it is through faith we are saved and not of ourselves, not through anything that we have done, but that it's a gift from you. I thank you for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for myself and I pray for all the people in this room today that you will help us to live lives of faith in Jesus Christ. We know that you love us. We know that you care for us. We know that you want the best for us. We know that you have, in, uh, you have reserved a place in heaven for us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be fruitful for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.